1: I'm Sarah Elgin, and this is the Rugby Tonight podcast. On this week's show, Bath legend Matt Banahan joined us in the studio to pick apart a thrilling weekend of European quarterfinals and look ahead to the return of the Aviva Premiership. Here's the best of our Rugby Tonight insight and analysis from Laura Delalio, Austin Healy, and our studio guest. It's only Bath stalwart, Matt Banahan. How are you?
2: I'm feeling good. Been a good two weeks uh, back playing, so it's uh, nice to be here as well.
1: Yeah, you had a while on the sidelines, didn't you, this Yeah, time? four
2: months, so it's a. Uh back for the business end of the season.
1: Yeah, and back with a win at the weekend as well. It was a good win against Brieve.
2: Yeah, it's been a tough month for the boys, putting in a lot of uh, good shifts, uh, and sort of being on the back end of some some decisions or, not, or some results that we didn't want. Um, but uh, to get ourselves into the semi-final of Europe is a, a big plus point uh, coming off last season.
1: And I guess for you, kind of this weekend, yes, you've got to the semi-finals, which is huge. You're in a run for some, well, two pieces of silverware. Um, but it's almost like you needed to get that confidence back, didn't you? After a, a few tough weeks, I guess, in the premiership. Yeah,
2: with all of our, how we planned to play against Brieve and what they brought, it was a, a total different game plan and what we expected. So uh, to come out of it with a win and the, the, the shape and the courage that the boys showed of what plan B sometimes has to look like uh, was good. And sometimes when you play Europe games, you, can, you only have to win by one point to get through to semi final and to score five tries is a bonus for us with our attacking rugby we want to play. And. Hopefully with how the weather's going to be turning out now, we'll, we'll show a bit more attacking when we come coming towards the end of the season.
1: Good. 11 years you've mm. been in Bath. Now, does it feel like you've been there that long? <laughs> it,
2: just yes. goes, it just goes by so fast. Um, it's nice that the supporters, as you've seen here, the same faces week in, week out, come support you. Uh, away game, home games, uh, at supporters evening. Um, and like I said, you blink and it, it goes by so fast. And uh, I've enjoyed every minute of it and I've still got a, another season on my contract, so um, I'm just hoping to enjoy everything You that could probably do a few more years, though, couldn't you? Like a new yeah. contract, maybe three- or four-year contract? <laughs> well, you yeah, we his agent! Yeah, we all know rugby's <laughs> a business yeah, nowadays. It's, it's up to Bath at the moment if they want to keep <laughs> you. So, I'd so, definitely you, keep you if I was in right. charge at Bath.
1: Yeah, they wax lyrical about you almost every every game, don't you? The take percentage.
3: Yeah. Well, it's no, no <laughs> surprise that they're back to winning ways, now he's back in the exactly, team. Exactly,
1: exactly that. But you did go, you arrived in Bath as a, as a lock stroke back rower. am I yeah. right? Yeah. So who, who was it that said, hey, this dude <laughs> doesn't need to be part of the pack, he needs um, to crack on and get yeah, with the, the pretty boys. The story of it. It.
2: Brian Ashton, um, yeah. back in, oh, you are talking 12 years ago, he used to run a junior national academy. Um, and there's myself, Sips in it, uh, a guy called Marco De Jobe was at Wasps, Danny Kerr um, and it was sort of the, the rising people who they, they sort of pinpointed um, and we were playing a couple of games of touch rugby and kick tennis and at one point I was catching someone running down the wing and he said if I was a coach at Premiership side I'd just drag you straight out, um, I was an Irish at the time and then he left the Junior Ash Academy and went to Bath and he signed me as a, as a winger um, but unfortunately for me he then left and took the England role So then I I fell under the wing of Steve Meehan, Mark Baker and Brad Davis, and they were like, who are you? So I had to prove myself over the whole pre-season, and sort of the story started from there, and I am sitting here today.
1: Lol, did they ever think of moving you from the back row to the yeah, wing? Yeah,
3: well, funny enough, I did start on the wing. Uh, I used to you? come off as a, re- a replacement, because wingers used to, you know, when the weather was particularly bad, yeah. the hamstring would get a little bit sore and they'd come off. <laughs> come <laughs> off I used to replace Chris Ochoa, because I played a lot of sevens. So uh, yeah. I think he got the better end of the deal right. going from the back row down yeah. into the backs than I did
2: the other way around. I
1: think you're probably right. Right, tattoos. Yeah. Let's talk tattoos. Um, how many have you got?
2: Uh, lost count. Uh, many scattered across my body, stomach, legs, obviously sleeves and neck and back, but yeah. um, they, they sort of become a trademark now. I, I haven't been tattooing in a while, but um, I think that's what I'm renowned for.
1: because yeah, this one I always notice when you play, probably because it's bright orange, yeah. to be fair. Um, what is it? Because I never um, see above your...
2: It's a, a beach I grew up in Jersey. I'm proud Jerseyman as well as obviously playing for Bath, but um, that's where I'm born, that's where my parents are from. Um, and it's a beach I grew up on a lot with my best friends, surfing in, in the sea, having barbecues. Um, it's Rocco Tower at St. Yeah. Um And it's just sort of memories of like, you can chuck stuff on your body, which mean nothing, but to me that means a lot, as well as like my kids and my, my name all scattered around my body. Um, my left sleeve's one half and my brother's got the other half, so it puts us two together. Mm. And where
1: um, are your kids' names?
2: Uh, two on my stomach and one on my thigh, so I can't take the The girls behind to go in. <laughs> yeah. Can we see them?
1: Any chance? Yeah. We're not going to ask you to do that, don't worry, you're good, you're all good. Okay, Uh, we'll chat more later, of course you will. Um, But let's get straight down to business then, as we look back at this weekend's Champions Cup quarterfinals, And on Saturday, it was the Irish teams that welcomed opposition to their gaffes, of course. Toulouse were hosted at Torment Park, and Wasps travelled to the Aviva in Dublin to face Leinster.
4: Lawrence, the game that you were most interested in at the weekend, obviously for all reasons being an old Wasp and a board member now, was Leinster versus Wasps. Um, How painful was it? Very painful, really, because when you looked at the, uh, the quarterfinal lineup, I mean, the odds
3: were always against WAS because, we, as we know, 75% of all quarterfinals in Europe are won by the home team. Thank you. But if you were going to pick one, uh, you know, this was the standout tie for me, and it just ended up being such a one-sided affair. I think Wasp will look back on this and reflect on it. It's almost like watching England lose to Ireland two weeks before that. You know, you knew exactly how Leinster were going to play. Ten of the Ireland team come from Leinster and they were going to rush up and close that Wass midfield down, and that's what they did. And, and Was I think, were a little bit naive with the way that they tried to sort of run with it. they didn't have any possession in the first half. Um, and Di Young was, was deeply frustrated after the game because, you know, apart from the first try, which Leinster worked really well, that tries two and three were almost gifted to them by Wass turning over possession. If we look at the stats here, you know. Twice as, twi- nearly t- over twice as many carries from uh, Leinster, three times the number of metres made, obviously superior gain line success and possession time. When do you see that in, a, in a game? That's frightening, isn't it? That, I
4: mean, y- you can't win a game unless you're yeah. Saracens with those sorts of numbers.
3: And 15 turnovers, so 15 unforced errors. So. If we just put Was to one side for a second, we've got to applaud Leinster.
4: Exactly, because they've got lots of big players, you know, O'Brien, Sexton, but then you've got Carbery at the back, who was a bit of a shock. I mean, this guy looks like a, he's got huge potential, normally playing at 10, but he made the right decisions all the way through the game, didn't he? I just think it's
3: about getting the best players on the field. And, uh, you know, Stuart Lancaster have been talking up uh, Carbery uh, throughout. And, uh, you know, with, with Sexton at 10, his game time is going to be limited there. With Carney's injury, I kind of forced their hand a little bit. But I think they've unearthed a real gem and a real star. Um, you know, understandably, Woss almost gifted him by, you know, he had a couple of um, catches early on in the game, which allowed him to settle. But he, he
4: looks like a real talent and, uh, and a guy that just wants to run with the ball. I well, think you hit the nail on the head then. He was given the opportunity with some, a lot of wayward kicks and... Everybody from Leinster performed, but the star performers or the so called star performers for Wasps, Danny Cipriani, Joe, uh, James Haskell, didn't have their best games today.
3: Well, you always know when a coach takes his two halfbacks off early into the second half, you know that things have gone wrong. And I think at 22 points to three down uh, at half time, the game was kind of over for Wasps. And a lot of responsibility, I'm afraid, has to rest at the hands of, of Danny because he is the, the guy that manages the game. Now, clearly, Leinster targeted him in defence. Um, and because their forwards were under pressure, um, it really meant that, that Danny Cipriani had no help, no cover, and they were quite exposed. Look at this, Jack Codan just picking up the ball and going to Danny Cipriani, have some of that. So that's no great surprise for me. But I think the thing, when they reflect on it, that will disappoint was is the fact that they didn't test the two wingers from Leinster who like to come up and defend quite narrow. Um, and they weren't as direct
4: as possibly they could have been. I think it's fair to say, isn't it? You can't really go away to a place like Leinster and give them a good start, and that's certainly what Wasps did.
1: Yeah, and we were talking about this, weren't we, um, in the green room a little earlier on. I was asking you about targeting a 10, and you were saying, basically similar to what Lawrence was saying, if if a 10 is getting kicked about a bit, you shouldn't necessarily just blame the 10. You need to to put a bit of the blame on the pack.
2: Yeah, you, you know that if you're in a good game, the forwards are around the corner, outworking them, protecting your 10, your 10 your your, your your role model, your person that, who controls the game in attack. And in defence, you need to try and protect him with your 12 and your inside defence. And obviously, if they're having to stay on the scrum for a bit longer, the 7 or 6 are late to get into him. So in all those clips, Sips is standing his ground. But in general, those guys are going to be bigger than him running at him. He's putting his body on the line. He just needs these people from the inside just chopping him down. And then Sips can get out and... If I was looking at that and somebody was getting to the 10 easy, I'd be looking at my pack and saying that they're not coming to help me quick enough, Mm -hmm. um, rather than taking all the blame onto SIPS.
1: Well, one pack that did stand up on the weekend was Munsters. Um, Good win for them over Toulouse. Although they were quite stubborn to lose, you know, it was a big scoreline in the end, but they were reasonably stubborn.
3: Yeah, I think when when we looked at this tie, I think everyone would have expected Munster to win that game. It's such a hard place to go and play. They've got that wonderful support back. They seem to be playing with this kind of higher purpose, obviously with the tragic passing of Axel Foley. They've really galvanised everyone together. Peter Mahoney's got that pack really, really firing. Toulouse came with a 6-2 split up front, so it's pretty clear about how they were going to play. They were going to try and take them on. And I thought John Ryan, Donica
4: Ryan and Mahoney really galvanised that team.
1: My defence was superb, wasn't it? Munster's defence.
4: <clears throat> well, I was worried for Munster in terms of the power that Toulouse have got. All the French sides have got huge players, huge power. But they de- they do tend to drop off in the last 20. And they-, they managed to hold on for quite a long period of time. They made a number of breaks. Um, but over the breakdown, they weren't allowed quick ball at any stage in the match. They had a few try-scoring opportunities, but cover defence was excellent for Munster. And it was just, as Lawrence said, um, an amazing performance. It's, it's 16 men when you go to Tournament Park. The uh, big question is, will it be 16 men at the Aviva?
1: Mm, That's going to be tough as ours, isn't it? And I want to talk a little bit about um, Toulouse because we saw a little bit in their pool games. I know you had a great win against them, didn't you, out there a couple of of years ago, Bath. But they do seem to be particularly ill-disciplined and and they were like that on the weekend again.
2: I just, I look at the the Toulouse, correct me if I'm wrong, I just think that they're an ageing side now. They haven't got youngsters coming in, so with having an ageing side, sometimes the frustration kicks in and guys are trying to do a little bit more than they do, or or cut short, short corners. Um, they haven't got any youth coming through that they used to have in, in, back in the day. Um, I think they're possibly sort of need a, a resurgence of youth coming through. Yeah, I mean they're, they're tenth
3: in the, in the top 14, so this is not the Toulouse side that we've known in, in Europe. And uh, you know, is, is definitely uh, on his way out. So, uh, as you say, they probably need to uh, to dip into the transfer market and bring in some new talent.
1: OK, let's go back to the weekend just gone by then. And by Sunday, we knew that both Leinster and Munster had made it through to the semi-finals. But who would be the opposition? Saracens.
4: <laughs> it's fair to say, though, the Saracens, these are the stats from the quarter-finals. They're at the top of most of the year uh, stats. Most impressive one for me, I think, is dominant collisions, particularly with all those French sides that were playing. You played against Saracens on numerous occasions. You're just about to get a new three-year coaching playing contract.
2: How'd you beat them? Um, for me, the one that stands out of that set-piece set success. Um, to stop them at source is the main part. If you disrupt it and not give them clean ball of line out and scrum, you're going to stop that dominant collision which will affect first phase and second phase. So for myself, I'd be concentrating on set-piece success and try and nullify that or, or at least make it a scrappy ball.
4: And obviously Munster taking them on over in the Aviva you're saying set-piece, you've played against them, and Bath have done pretty well against them on numerous occasions down at the Rec. Is that what you targeted first and foremost, or did you look at their kicking game and how they respond there?
2: Uh, we know that they've got a good kicking game. You, you know that what's coming back, and that they're a team that squeeze you and wait for you, and what has impressed me the whole season is that I'd like to see a stat of how many opportunities they've give, given to score and how many they actually score. Um, I think it's very high up percentage-wise, and if you're giving teams opportunities to score, and they are, they're a really good team Um, so you've got to stop kicking the ball away poorly giving them clean uh, set piece um, and hopefully if you stop doing those two sorts you stop them by getting those dominant collisions and then put them into their plan B on the back foot
4: Yeah they won't be on a plastic pitch which will be a benefit I think For Munster 18 clean breaks is amazing and and I think you can say of Saracens all their international players have really integrated particularly well after the Six Nations earlier on in the week we caught up with Maru Itoji to find out how he's got back into the Saracen way of things
5: I think Glasgow, they're actually a very good team. Um, we, we paid them a lot of respect during the week. We acknowledged their threats. Um, but I think our, our set piece was good. They also had a good set piece, but I think our, our backs were very clinical. Um, so, you know, we give them a stick sometimes about not finishing off, finishing off their chances. And um, to be fair, I actually did miss about three, <laughs> three, three tries, <laughs> but... Um, when you look at most games, the start is always tough, both, both teams come out hard and both teams come out very physical then um, towards the end you begin to see the difference in, 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 in teams and I think that was the case uh, against Glasgow, they, they're obviously a very well coached, well drilled team so it takes, takes a bit of time to break them down um, and fortunately we did.
1: Maro had a good game by the weekend, as did actually all their stars, because they, they have missed their internationals. We said last week, didn't we? They have missed their internationals maybe a little bit more than in years has gone by this season. But now with them back and all their stars playing well, they, they do look unstoppable.
3: Yeah, they are. They're without doubt the, the team to beat. And the reason they missed their international players is because those players now, the Vunapola brothers, um, you know, Maritoji, Jamie George, Owen Farrell, they are genuinely world-class players all of them will be going on the Lions tour. So they would add real momentum to everyone. And I think the last couple of weeks, the performance against Matt Bath and, and the game against Glasgow was a real statement from the champions. They've got, they got a way of playing Saracens that they all buy into, and I think that's what's particularly impressive. The guys were talking about it earlier on. I think what they do is they... they Focus their game on exit strategies. They don't give opposition any opportunities to score against them in their own 22. They're very clear about how they get out of their own half. And then once they do get into the opposition half, they've got amazing ball carriers. They've got a bench that most first teams would love to put down as their first choice. You know, you've got Brits coming off the bench to replace Jamie George, and he adds a slightly different side to their game. The Vunapola brothers give them go forward like no other players in, the, in, the, in World Rugby at the moment. And then they've got finishers on, on either wing. So I think they are definitely the team to beat and the most complete side. It's going to be fascinating to see if they can take that game to the red-hot atmosphere of the Aviva Stadium.
1: And that was a really good Brad Barrett try, wasn't it? With, with almost all their stars involved at some stage. So the the,
4: where they're most improved, actually, is their forwards. We saw when we went over to Toulon earlier on in the year, um, the interplay of their pack was fantastic. It's not actually Owen Farrell creating the opportunities. It's Brits, it's Billy Vunapola, uh, Jackson Ray. They come in at first and second receiver, and instead of just crashing into brick walls like most stupid forwards do, <laughs> they put nice little passes in, they offload, they pull defensively, defenders around, they get their hands out to tackle, and they offer far more threat. You can be the biggest man in the world, but if you run into two or three other big blokes, the ball's going to die where it is. I You're think great. also
2: that it shows how much confidence they're playing as a team. That yeah. A team that's playing with not a lot of confidence won't chuck those offloads, wouldn't yeah chance their hand on those sort of things so they're obviously playing with a lot of confidence uh, yeah. trying those opportunities
1: and someone like Finn Russell who in fairness uh, has played some phenomenal rugby during this competition he, w- he was really quiet at the weekend and maybe didn't have his best game
2: yeah it's obviously tough it's the same situation as uh, as the Cipriani incident that the big boys forwards from Sarries were coming around the corner putting a lot of pressure on him um, and to concentrate on your defence as well as attack when people are running at you constantly is hard and obviously out of hand kicking missed a few touches at the end of some halves which are pretty important of not only scoring opportunities but field position is a, a, a big sort of no-no for any good turn. Guys, <laughs>
1: right, very quickly, are we still, he, still in the Lions mix, Finn?
2: Yes, I think he's still in the mix.
4: I think, and I know Scottish people won't like it, but there will be some political selections. There has to be. You know, the Lions can't go with one Scottish player. It would be unfair. Uh, and I think for that reason, if it's a 50-50 choice between him and Ford or him and Bigger, mm. for example, he'll get the nod.
1: Okay, let's move on then. Claremont and uh, Toulon uh, in a rematch of the 2013 and 2015 final. Different result, though. Um, And Lawrence, Claremont, good for the win?
3: Yeah, very good for the win. Um, I think of all the top 14 sides that we watch on a regular basis, I think they're the one side that play with genuine tempo. I think it's a real arm wrestle at top 14. The size of the forwards are enormous. But I think Claremont set themselves apart by playing with that tempo. You know they've got Para and Camille Lopez. I think you know pulling the strings, and uh, and they were good for that. It's a very, very hard place to go and win, and uh, I think uh, they'll be. The team that everyone neutrals would love to see finally win the European Cup. Yeah,
1: always a bridesmaid. Do you know what I loved? Um, in that game was just seeing Richard Cockle kind of let loose from that coach's box that we saw him in at uh, Leicester. He was pitch side. <laughs> he was like almost like where he belongs. He was so passionate, Austin, wasn't he? Yeah,
4: he was. He was certainly a- enjoying the occasion. <laughs> I think maybe he has gone. Well, he's slightly. He's always been slightly deranged, <laughs> uh, and um, now we can see that the pressure of working under. Bujeral has finally, you know, sent him over the edge. Well, he's he's gonna be gone working completely to nuts now, now, now yeah, but the, the, the interesting thing for me in that game was uh, I was doing some analysis and their medics actually did more metres covered than Bastereau did <laughs> in the entire match uh, by two to one. And is
1: that our official staff?
4: That was it. I was counting it. I, I measured oh, it out. I got pretty bored with Ben, as you do at a game. And so I spent half the time just watching the medics go forward wonderful, and back.
1: Wonderful. Do you think you can shed that now and make some meters over there to the demo? There was demo. 24 Thank stoppages you Austin. in that. Yeah, game. Like 24 20. stoppages. So can you believe be it? Let's talk about
4: something it. more exciting. So, we're going to talk about, Banners, how. Well, teams get their wingers more involved. Good sides really utilise the benefits of having their fast guys involved as, much as as much as possible, don't they?
2: Yeah, definitely. There's the uh, opportunity with the pace of ball, speed of breakdown, uh, how wide the breakdown is and good wingers like Jack Knoll does at the moment, Chris Ashens and Masaki, they find these spaces in between defenders when they're not ready and you can create tri-score opportunities and another not, another lot of line breaks which team wants.
1: OK, so we're back to Premiership action this weekend and what a round of fixtures we have lined up for you as the hunt for those important top four and European places continues. Let's start with Sale and Worcester. Um, Lawrence, Sale, they've not had a great season and they're only four points ahead of Worcester at the moment. How do you see that one going?
3: Yeah, you're right, Steve Diamond won't be pleased with the way this season's gone. I mean, they've had some positives, I think the form of Denny Solomon and him coming in, um, but there's not a huge amount to play for ordinarily at this point of the season, Sale are kind of on that sort of sixth or seventh place, and they might be pushing for Europe, which is a place that they've occupied the last couple of seasons, but um, they've dropped back a little bit. I would expect this game to be a pretty high scoring match. Both sides, I, I think, are, are out of the relegation issue. I think that's down to Bristol now, they are gone. Um, so I think it should be a game where both sides can relax a little bit, and I expect quite a high scoring encounter. And I'm sure would not be surprised if, um, if Worcester are able to go up there and, and win.
1: Okay, Worcester haven't won on the road in the Premiership, though, since, I think it was last March. So, uh, Gary Gold's obviously gone in there. You know Gary Gold pretty well from his time at Bath. Um, Is he the man to turn around? Can he get into this? I guess it's more psychology, isn't it, when you haven't won on the road for that long? I
2: think he definitely can. He'll try and go back to a simple game plan of what he did with us, and the simple thing done well against any team will give you a a winning formula. And um, hopefully, or not hopefully, but if Worcester go up there and and produce, like, we don't think they're in a relegation battle, but a win for them definitely takes them away from that area. So I think there's a little bit more on it for Worcester to try and fight for, to try and get that win, um, to give them a little bit of breathing space, and then they can start building for the, for the following year.
1: Right, let's move on then to Bath-Leicester. I think we should. Um, I mean, Matt, realistically, I think we will probably think it's between... Bath and Leicester for that fourth spot. I mean, How, how far will this game go in deciding just that?
2: Um, I think it's a massive step up for us to, to keep the momentum going on from the, from the quarterfinal win to beating Leicester um, and then going into knowing that we've got Gloucester, Sale and Worcester uh, coming to the back end of the season. For us, it's a massive uh, step uh, to get back into that top four where we've been all year um, and we obviously we slipped out of it, but it's a great opportunity against it, a good Leicester side at the moment to put ourselves back up there.
1: Is there a different feeling in training this week? Even more pressure?
2: Yeah, uh, it's a bit of a, an excitement, I think. Um, an opportunity to, obviously we took it away from the wreck at the start of the year, but we didn't know how the table was going to be sat. Um, in the position we are in now, um, and having 55,000 people at Twickenham, you can't ask for any better place to go play and uh, make a mark and be in that top four. Oz,
1: I also want to talk to you a little bit about the battle of um, George Ford and uh, Freddie Burns, because obviously George Ford is going from Bath to Leicester and Freddie's going yep. from Leicester to Bath. I mean, that's, that's <coughs> going to be a huge matchup, isn't it?
4: Yeah, I presume we will just swap shirts at the end of the game and then...
1: Uh, <laughs> and make you know, the way home.
4: <laughs> go on and yeah, play for the Robsons. I actually think it's a really good signing for both teams. I think George going back to Leicester, obviously he hasn't been as happy as he has in previous years at Bath, and he's moving back to Leicester, and I and Freddie's going back to where he grew up. Yeah. So it's it, it, and, and the way they both play, actually, they both sort of suit the other side quite a lot. Uh, but this game at the weekend, in my for my money, Harlequins are a real outside bet, and if they beat Sarries at Wembley, potentially they could come into the mix. But whoever wins this game, you'd expect to go on and finish fourth. So it is an enormous game because so much to play for, and and obviously Le- Leicester will win.
1: Oh, they didn't like well, that. What did you me to say? Massive. It's supposed to be neutral. Um, and it's worth mentioning as well, 50% of all upper-tier sales for the clash between Bath and Leicester will go to help for heroes. So if you haven't bought a ticket so far, yeah, you know what to do. Um, there's another big game at Wembley. Lawrence, um, uh, Saracens and Quinns. I mean, Saracens, they just seem to be hitting form at just the right time, don't yeah,
3: they? Yeah, they they've been so, so impressive in the last couple of weeks. Uh, no matter who plays against them, they seem to prepare themselves by just not looking any further ahead than, um, than the next game, really. They will rotate their squad because I think they've got a few injuries. Uh, George Cruz, not quite back, ready, fit again, but um, every one of their players will be putting their hands up to play. And, uh, you know, as, as Matt said earlier on, you just get the sense when, you, when you're in a really good side that's full of confidence. Austin has been there playing for Leicester. I've been lucky enough to do it at Was. You, you've got that belief that you're going to get out of bed and win that game of rugby. And then Saracens look like they've, they've, they've really possessed that at the moment. And whilst Quinns will go full ball and they've got Chris Robshaw and you know, Mike Brown and Joe Marler and Danny Kerr, all the guys playing well, they're going to have to go some to beat Saracens. They yeah. did it at the beginning of the season, they did. it's just whether they can, uh, they can do it again. And as Austin said, Quinns have got um, you know them, they've got Northampton, they've got to go to Exeter and they've mm. got to play wass So they've got a really tough running.
1: I mean, Saris, uh, they've got you know a couple of injuries, but it doesn't seem to weaken them. I, I know they've, they've called back, well, they have, they're they bringing back Will Skelton, aren't they? On a two year deal now as well. But, but I don't know, these injuries, they don't seem to dent them because they've got such a, such a big and good squad.
4: Yeah, uh, as you said three times, then they have got an amazingly big <laughs> squad. It's, uh... Did
1: I say three times? <laughs> I think
4: you did. Yeah, oh, that was but, a long <laughs> but it's been a long night, I also. don't think it's necessarily the size of the squad that uh, obviously it, it does help. They've got huge quality there, but they all know how to play. So. If they lose Wigglesworth and Spencer comes in, or if they lose uh, Farrell and Lazovsky comes in, they all know exactly what's supposed to happen on every area of the field, and they take very few risks. But what they do better than any other side is they sniff out opportunity. So they don't go... They're, they're, they're very risk-averse, I think, but when they think something's on, suddenly the pace of their game, their attacking game, goes through the roof. And that can be 10 metres from their own line, or it could be in the red zone, and uh, I think that's why they're so strong. And they're great to watch. You know, you yeah, go and watch, watch them stream. down there. Yeah. They're a brilliant team to go and watch.
1: They are, but as Lauren said, you know, Quinns did them over at the stoop, didn't they, at the start of the season. But um, we got a chance to catch up with Saracen Stan Maritoge, as you saw a little um, earlier on, ahead of the Wembley battle against Quinns. And we spoke to him about the Six Nations and uh, ambitions this season.
5: Six Nations feels like a long time away now, which is only, what, two, three weeks ago now. It was good. It was, um, it was good, I enjoyed. I enjoyed the Six Nations this year more than I did last year. Um, I, uh, I felt as if um, I began to, you know, find my feet in the team a bit more. So all in all, I, I enjoyed it. It was, it was a good experience for me. Wembley is, is a historic ground. It's, it's a cool stadium. It's, you know, it, has a lot of, it has a lot of heritage in the ground. So everyone always gets excited about this fixture every year because. Um, We tend to do fairly well, you know, we we get roughly 80,000 people there, so Wembley will be full and we're playing against our other London team, so it's going to be tasteful, it's going to be good, it's going to be enjoyable and we're definitely looking forward to it. You play rugby for these big occasions, to play in these big stadiums and, you know, to test yourself against high-level opposition and Harlequin's are finding some form now, so it's going to be a good game. One of the good things about Saracens um, certainly since I've been there is that we don't look too far ahead. Um, we always keep our focuses nice and nice and nice and sharp and nice and our focus at the moment is Harlequins. So we'll focus on Harlequins after Harlequins we'll focus on Northampton, then we'll go um, to the semi-final, then at the end of the regular premiership season we'll see where we are then we'll we'll go from there
1: Yes indeed. Right, let's move on to Sunday's game then, Wasps against Southampton. Matt, you've been in a in position like Wasps before, I'm sure where you've lost big, important, crucial games like they did on the weekend. Um, what's this weekend, what's this week been all about for them in training? Well,
2: it's, it's exactly what happened to us coming off the Saracens game going into the brief. You've just got to go back and look what you've done well uh, over the previous weeks and Wasps have played so well over 99% of the season that they'll go back to what they've done well, go back to the simple training drills. Um, and try and carry that confidence that they've, they, they've got, um, it's one game in a long season, there's a lot more rugby to still be played and I'm sure they'll go back all guns blazing this weekend.
1: Lawrence, as a former player and a Wasps fan, what do you want to see from your boys yeah, this as, weekend? As
2: Matt said, they've only lost
3: three games in the Premiership, so they, they can't be uh, too critical, they're doing a lot of good stuff right, holding on to the ball will help, they didn't go past about three phases against Leinster, and I think... At their best, WOS DNA is about aggressive defence, line speed, as most sides are. I think in the last few weeks, they've just been really passive and backing off. So I think I'd like to see them coming out the blocks nice and fast. They're playing at a, uh, at a stadium where they're pretty much unbeaten this season. They've got a very good record. Um, they'll respect their opponent because Northampton are a dangerous side to be playing. But uh, if they want, you know, what this season has taught us about WAS is that they're not very good away from home in the big semi-finals. They haven't learned to win those big games. So if they want to win the Premiership, best to get a home semi-final, and that yeah. starts this weekend. It's going to be a tough
1: game for them against Southampton, they're, they're coming on, aren't they, off the back of an East Midland loss as well. So, um, but let's move on to the Viva Premiership Player of the Month, and uh, for March, the winner was... Do we get a drum roll at this stage? No? Oh, we do get a drum roll. how great is that? Uh, okay, the winner is... Christian Waite. Did he score
4: some fantastic tries? Yeah, well, I'm a bit surprised he's won it. He's only running a couple of really easy tries, as we saw there. And this one, he basically walks over the try line and he's got Player of the Month just for beating (laughs) about about 48 defenders in the course (laughs) of the month. I mean, he's been sensational, hasn't he? Uh, Against uh, Leinster, we saw at the weekend, he scored a fantastic try. Um, And I think he's a well worth winner. Congratulations to Christian, then. Yeah. All good. Well done. Um, earlier on in the show, we asked you for your British and Irish lines captain. I read a few of these out here. Alexander Mitchard, he said that Hartley, he showed in the Six Nations he has the right temperament. No captains from the other three nations are starters. And an inform Hartley is. Guys, quick response to that? Yeah, I think he's... Uh... It, it, he's going he's to be just, if he gets on the tour, he'll be
3: very, very pleased. I think uh, anything more than that would be a big bonus for him.
4: Yeah, Michael Callan has said uh, Best has got great leadership qualities for the tour, but Gatlin wants to have a familiar face. He'll pick Warburton. I think we're all agreed, and bookmakers have stopped taking any bets has on they? Warburton okay. being yeah. Uh, yeah. captain now. Uh, Chris Gregory. Uh, I would go with Farrell as captain. Uh, we won't—he won't take a backward step, and won't anyone uh, be there? Uh, it'll just be like Jono, it says, and he'll definitely be there. Uh, that's from Chris Gregory, and I think well, he's going to be in the starting lineup. Who's your captain?
2: Who would you go for? I'll pick a I'll pick a group to be honest, just because there's a lot of rugby games, a lot of people that can change. So if you have a, a core three or four, I think that that might work um, throughout the long tour that they're out there playing. Yeah. yeah.
1: Anybody kind of of the weekend? Has anybody kind of made their way out of of your team, guys? Or? or... Way well, back I think, in. I think
3: from a back row's point of view, that's going to be a huge area of contention. Has Peter O'Mahony done enough by driving Munster? Has um, Sean O'Brien just edged James Haskell, or will they both go? Um, because it's not just about the test side. As we know, the, the secret to a successful Lions tour is about having a really strong midweek side. And believe you me, that midweek side will be tested in New Zealand. They are the hardest games you play anywhere in world
4: rugby outside of the test matches.
1: Buzz, how about you?
4: Backs are all about utility, all about players that can interchange. Daly definitely goes because of that. Watson might go because of it. I'd love to see an uncapped player go like Solomona, but I think maybe, where is he? Ashton may have just done enough. I know people think Doing, about his okay. temperament and his personality, but I think he's got a great personality and temperament, exactly the sort of person you Possibly, want to be. Possibly, I think Ringrose and Henshaw,
3: yeah,
1: you know, the, yeah, yeah. the performances yeah. from the
2: Irish guys at the weekend.
1: A really quick from you, Matt, in terms of wingers, who, who would you, who'd you go for?
2: Uh, I'd, uh, to be honest, I'd go. You're talking about in form at the moment. I think George is a, a standout player on the left wing for Wales and his it, form at the moment. And like I said, I'd chuck an outsider. I, if you're not going to start Anthony Watson or Jack Noll, I'd definitely take Ashley because you're talking about form coming into playing the best team in the world.
1: Thanks for listening to the Rugby Tonight podcast. We'll be back again in a few weeks' time. See you then.